y'all? Good morning. My name is Dustin, and I get the privilege of serving here um, as pastor. So um, I'm excited uh, you're here this morning. Um, one of the things you, you may be new, may not, but one of the things we, we're super focused about as a church is connecting people to a growing relationship with Jesus. Um, we, we don't try to get much outside of that. We um, firmly believe that um, the plan of the church is to um, be a body of believers to turn outwards um, and join hands together to reach people that don't know Jesus. And so we're excited you're here this morning and um, want you to know that that's everything that um, we're about. If you have your Bibles, um, we do love our Bibles here. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can start turning to Matthew chapter 2. Um, if you're familiar with the Jesus uh, birth story, that's exactly where it is. And so we'll be... Um, camped out there uh, for most of the morning. Um, I, I'm really excited about this morning. I think it's going to be really um, good and powerful. And so um, what I want to do this morning is basically um, I just want to read the first uh, 12 verses of that chapter. We're going to spend a little time reading, but um, I believe in that uh, the, the, the power that's in this Bible is not just um, knowledge for our brain, right, and, and good um, and intellectual use to us, but I think that the words in them when we um, ask the Lord to, to let them pierce our hearts, the, the, the Bible says that it'll do that and that it can have power over our life and that um, it's like a sword and it's living and active, right? And that's exactly what he's talking about. And I think that um, if we come to it with the open heart that it can um, do that to us. So if you would, read with me the first 12 verses. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. Um, but we'll read the first 12 verses and then we'll um, jump in. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men, right? You, you probably heard the famous stories, if not um, wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? Uh, a cool thing there, they, they referred to him as king of the Jews from now until he was buried, right? If you, um, um, one of the famous things with the Catholic Church is on this tomb is um, king of the Jews, right? And that's kind of a, the way he's labeled as for a lot of people. But um, it says, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? He says, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That's going to be a, a big idea this morning is, is what it means to worship Jesus for who he is. Verse 3. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. If you're underlining, if you're underlining your Bible, I want you to underline disturbed, right? That's an interesting thing to throw in the, 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 the beautiful, fuzzy Christmas story, right? You think that that wouldn't disturb many people, but I think when we get to who Jesus is, um, we can see why maybe it disturbed um, the king during this time. It says, and all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Verse four, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Verse five, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. So this is a prophecy now that he's gonna quote from the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, um, Jesus wasn't just a random person that walked on earth and um, had some miraculous power to heal people. Um, he was somebody that was prophesied for thousands and even hundreds or hundreds, even thousands of years beforehand that, um, that a savior would come, that he wasn't necessarily gonna come and um, be a, a military tyrant. He wasn't gonna come and just um, overtake the world and zap people down, that type of person, but he was gonna come and Isaiah says he's gonna be pierced for our transgressions and he's gonna humble himself as a servant and it was gonna be a type of savior that most people in this time wouldn't be expecting, right? A lot of times when people encountered Jesus, they thought the Jesus that was coming was gonna be militant and he was gonna hold 
guns to their head, and he was going to kind of make them and force them, worship him. And what we get pictures of throughout the Gospels from his birth, him being born in a manger as a, as a little fragile baby in a, in a, in a terrible place um, through his whole life, is that that wasn't what Jesus was characterized by. He was characterized by being somebody who was um, soft and that was very inclusive and he loved all people. Now, he was very um, sure to tell us that he was the only way to be reconciled to the Father, but everybody that he came in contact with, um, he, he loved them, right? He wasn't coming to force them to do anything. He wanted to be a humble servant to them. And if you read the Bible for yourself, you can see this all throughout um, the, the Gospels of who Jesus was. But this is what that prophecy beforehand says. Starting in verse 6, it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, which is where Jesus is being born, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. He says, For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. And that ruler he's talking about is Jesus that's going to come. Verse 7, it says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, right? So let me catch you up in the story here. Um, King Herod is disturbed, and now all of a sudden, King Herod wants to know where Jesus is being born, according to this verse, so that he can worship him, right? Now, we can very quickly figure out here that Herod didn't want to know where Jesus was so that he could worship him. He wanted to know where Jesus was, as we learn here in a little bit, so that he could kill him, right? And so we see here this idea that there's going to be people, even before Jesus is born, that are going to be false worshipers of Jesus, right? That are going to claim to want to worship him, but are really going to have different motives, are going to hope to get things um, from Jesus, maybe not prize Jesus himself. Read the rest of the story with me. Verse 8, he says, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. We know this is all set up. He says, after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. This is the Magi. They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw a child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him, right? Another idea of worship all throughout this text. He says, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? That probably connects with all you big city essential oil people, right? Y'all fired up about that, okay? Essential, okay, not, not this morning, not Dustin this Christmas morning. We can't be joking, okay? Um, verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route so that they could stay safe. Um, let's pray together and let's jump into what um, this could mean. Father, uh, we just come to you this morning thankful um, for what you've given us, Lord. During this time and season, God, it's um, easy to get focused on time off from work, Lord, and, 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 and gifts we'll receive. And God, if somebody will like the present we bought them, that we give them in a couple days. But Father, help us, um, as your word says, all the time. Help us to set our minds on things above. Lord, help us not be too caught up in um, this earthly life that we forget that there's a bigger purpose for why we're here. Lord, there, there's a bigger purpose than um, giving our kids something exciting on uh, Christmas morning. There's more purpose in life to um, getting some days off from work so that we can relax and enjoy the American comfortable dream. Father, but um, there's a reason in that eternal life for us that overjoying is only going to flow when we see you as our prize. And so, Father, help us see that this morning. God, drop us um, to our face and our knees that we would worship you as the Magi worshiped Jesus when he was born. Father, remove any 
um, Herod-type guilt in us that is worshiping Jesus falsely or, or we want to worship ourselves, Lord. Help us see you for who you are. God, the loving Father that loved us so much that he would send his son to the cross to be crucified for us and taking the punishment that we deserve, Father. Help us fix our eyes on that. God, help us posture our heart in a direction that is grateful for what you've accomplished for us on the cross. Um, and God, I pray this morning that um, your word would be active and that it would um, be sharp and that it would um, change our hearts in a way that only you can, Father. Um, help this not be just some empty words from a, a, a random preacher, Father, but help it be your word driven by the Holy Spirit, Lord, that um, has power because you're in it, not because of me. Father, we love you so much and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen, amen. Um, I got a quick question for y'all. How many of you um, would know what I'm talking about when uh, you see things, and if you're kind of behind the scenes, you know that it's kind of more to it, but when you see it on surface area, it looks kind of nice and fluffy, right? Um, if I give this example, y'all probably know what I'm talking about. Chick-fil-A employees. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever go to Chick-fil-A, and they, they just, on their face, they look like um, they're happy as can be to serve you. And let's be real. If you work at a fast food restaurant every day your whole life, you can't be that excited to serve people all day long. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I remember um, not long ago I saw a viral video on Facebook. We can't lie. We all see those every day. So, um, But I saw one, and it was actually quoting the song we sang earlier about um, they leave the 99 and chase you, and it's a Chick-fil-A employee running some uh, food that they had forgot out to their car, you know, and it's really funny. Maybe y'all don't think it's that funny, but I think it's really funny. Um, but so I actually, what's even crazier is I actually, um, for a little bit of time in my life, I got to spend some time in a program to um, own a Chick-fil-A. And so I got to see some of the behind the scenes things that go on. And um, what I learned quickly is that um, behind all the, the fluffiness, there's a, there's a lot of intensity going on, right? Not all bad by any means, even good stuff. But they, they didn't produce that by um, this nice fluffy look on the outside by there being something empty on the inside, right? It's, it's not, um, there's intensity, there's um, conversations that are hard, there's um, crying going on, there's people celebrating for um, moving up, right? There's a lot more going on than just kind of the picture that we see with this. And um, the, probably the, the greatest thing I remember is when I was there, I hired a girl that was in high school. She was a junior in high school. She was a little soccer player, sweet girl, and um, we went in to hire her, and she's purposely has this big smile on, right, because if you're going to get hired at Chick-fil-A, you better have a big smile, and so you can tell the whole time she's like giggly and laughing, and you know, and I'm trying to explain to her, I'm like, look, like, you know, we, we're like that, we, are, we want you to be intentional with your smile and your laughs, but there might come some times where, you know, it's down to business, I mean, people want their food in less than three minutes, and if you don't give it to them, Y'all are getting mad, amen, right? I mean, we kind of got this expectation. And so um, we're talking to her. Well, the first day she's at work, for some reason, they deliver um, saltine crackers in super big boxes there. And so we're in there, and we're like, hey, grab some saltine crackers. And it's about 1.30. The lunch rush is gone, but it's still really busy. And she goes up there, and she's in a hurry. And we're like, hurry, hurry. Well, it's on one of those white racks. Y'all know what I'm talking about, where you can kind of stick your fingers through, but um, you can you can move it a little bit, but it's holding it like a shelf. And she starts trying to get it when she can't reach the box, so she starts pushing the, the box through the, the shelving with her fingers off. And, I mean, she's hurrying, and we're like, hurry, Ashley, hurry, Ashley. And finally, she gets it off far enough, and she doesn't catch the box, and the box turns 100% upside down, and, I mean, saltine crackers just flood the drive-through area, right? The worst place they could be. And the whole time I'm thinking, 
this was not what she was thinking about in her happy and smiley interview, right? Like, she's not thinking, I can't wait to have saltine crackers dumped all over me, you know? Like, that's not, that's not what, what her mind was going into this. And, and if we're honest, I, I tell you that story, and I think it relates very much to what the Christmas season is like, y'all. I think what happens is um, Christmas becomes such a normal thing in our culture that we forget that there's a lot deeper meaning, right? And I don't mean deep as in uh, the saying, this is, there's a reason for the season, or Jesus is the reason for the season, as it's, all that is true, but I think there's even more to it, y'all. Think about this. Matthew 27 talks about that when Jesus went to the cross, that darkness covered the earth, right? Like, like, this is a huge deal in time, right? That we get to, we get to celebrate it in culture. We get some days off from work, but um, it's not always just kind of nice and easy and fluffy Christmas, right? Like there was a little baby that was born that came out like my little baby and was crying and probably was gasping for air, you know, that type of realness. It's not like, oh, he was a healthy Jesus born 33 years old in the manger, you know, like that wasn't how it worked. Like this was a full story unfolding with hard times and then you get pictures of Jesus and Lazarus where it says Jesus wept, right? And you get this picture of this God that also has emotions and and there's just so much more to just a baby in a manger and then a cross that we get to um, say we worship every now and then, right? That there's something bigger going on. I, I read something a couple weeks ago when I was preparing for this and I wanted to share it and it kind of gets at the idea that there's something more going on. It's a quote by C.S. Lewis, read it with me. It says, one may think of a diver, talking about Jesus, one may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, right? You can picture Jesus and how this correlates with what he did for us. He says, then glancing in midair, then gone with the splash, vanished, rushing down through the green and warm water into black and cold water, down through um, where it gets increasing pressure into the death-like region of the, of the ocean and silver, or, and, and, and then in, and, and it gets old and decay. And then up again, holding in his hand the, the, the dripping precious thing that he went down to recover, right? And so you get this picture where he's, let me simplify for you, where you get this diver where he comes himself to nakedness, where he's vulnerable and um, he's kind of taking a beating, right, that we picture Jesus and he goes down and um, he's got something down there he wants to get, but he's got to endure all this hard stuff before he gets there, right? And then at the end, he comes up and people picture the story of Jesus in Christmas time kind of like the diver that's coming out of the water, right? That there was nothing down there that Jesus didn't really endure anything, right? That there was no um, meaning behind what he was doing. And I think if we're not careful, what happens is, is we focus on the very end of that, right, that he comes up with just some dripping water on him that he didn't have to really work um, while he was down there, right? And I think that's the, the same thing that happens with us in Christmas is we get to a place where um, it's just Christmas, y'all. And I think that if there's one thing I could do this morning, it would be to remind us of um, the majesty of Jesus, right, and the, the power of Jesus and the um, holiness of Jesus and the, 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 the magnifying of Jesus' name that we should do over all else, right? And, and it shouldn't be about anything else. And so what I wanna do this morning is I wanna take a little bit different view at this because I think that if we look at Herod a little bit in this story and kind of what we see through him and then we see through the Magi and Mary, um, we, can, we can get a bigger picture of maybe what's going on here. And so um, the first thing is this, I have three things I want you to take away if you're taking notes. If not, 
um, I guess you can just keep listening to me. But the first one is this, is um, Jesus disturbs self-worshippers, right? Follow this with me. I want to read verses one through three again. Um, and I want you to think about this with me. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so you have Jesus born in Judea during the time of King Herod, who we'll talk about, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, right? So they travel and they finally make it and they ask, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw this star when it rose and have come to worship him, right? There's a period there. Now, word gets to King Herod that there are people wanting to come and worship this little baby, right? Now, here's the deal. If you're King Herod during this time, people worshiping things other than you doesn't settle, right? It just doesn't go well. It's not, he's sitting here thinking this little time in, in history, in this, this country I'm over, in this space I'm entitled to, that this is to worship me, right? That's King Herod's thought process. And what does it say in verse three? It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. I think um, it's easy, y'all, to come to a place, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, to come to a place where we forget that if Jesus is at the center of our lives, if, if, if Jesus isn't just something that we're gonna add to our lives, but Jesus becomes the center and what our lives revolve around, then when we get to a place where we wanna exalt ourselves and we wanna worship ourselves, what happens is, is it causes a feeling of disturbance, right? Like you get to a place where you're like, okay, I don't, I don't think that this is what I'm created for, right? If I, I mean, I mean, guys, you can follow all you want, right? The, the example I always use about this is Tom Brady. Think about this with me. If, if anybody has a reason to self-worship, maybe it's him, right? He's maybe not the greatest athlete, but um, he, he plays with a lot of great athletes, and he's probably the best quarterback ever, right? So he's great athlete, which a lot of guys would love. He's a millionaire because of it. He's got a supermodel wife. He's got a really nice house. He's got lots of fame. He's got lots of people that tune in, millions of people to watch him play a sport, right? But he, he said in a 30-minute interview, one, or a 30 on 30 interview one time, he said, um, there's got to be something more to life, right? Because he realized that he had lived his life to kind of build himself up and self-worship himself in such a way that he was going to accomplish everything he wanted to accomplish. But he came to the bottom of it and said, there's, there's got to be more to it, right? And I think for believers in here, if I could encourage you for just a minute is this, is if we find ourselves in that place, y'all, if we get to a place of self-worship where all we're worried about is who we are and we're not really worried about serving others, we don't think there's a greater purpose for our lives and, and, and God placing people around us and giving us jobs and giving us influence with people to um, spread the gospel to them and we get so caught up in the busyness of our lives and we get so caught up in our kids and our families and those are good things but what happens is is all this American life starts taking over and eventually we just squeeze Jesus out of it right and what happens is is then we become the type of people that a few times a year we're like hey I, I, I like this Jesus idea I'm on board with it but the rest of the time it's not there right and I think one of the causes for that, y'all, if I could encourage you this morning and challenge you at the same time, is it's because we get caught up with ourselves, right? And we've got to get to a place where self-worship becomes a disturbance to us, right? Because um, I, I think if we're all completely honest with where we are and who we are, um, to think of the gospel and think that there's a God who created me, who's bigger than me and more powerful than me, and 
He created people, and they were perfect, but then people um, kind of did away with him and uh, rejected him. And so he starts this plan of saving these people and, and then eventually bringing a Savior um, in Jesus. And the only reason we need that Savior is because we screwed up in the first place, and none of us are good enough to earn our way to heaven on our own, no matter how many people we help or how much we serve in a church, right? There's no way we can get there. And then eventually we say, well, that's fine. I'll just kind of live my life the earthly way, the worldly way, the way culture teaches me, and I'll kind of build myself up. And um, what happens is, is through all of this infiltrating into us through our eyes and our ears and our, our what we see around us, and what happens is we end up coming to a place where we're just elevating ourselves and elevating ourselves, and even if it's bad thoughts, we're still still self-worshiping about how bad we are or, or maybe how good we are or what we need to do to fix ourselves. And what happens is we draw way more attention to ourselves than we do on Jesus, right? And then the gospel, that story unfolds, and you realize, man, this was never about me in the first place, right? If there was really a baby born on Christmas morning a couple thousand years ago, and then um, he, he, he went to the cross, and he really had all this power that it said he had, and, and you, you do your fact check, and you're like, man, this was a real guy, and then you do the fact checking on the resurrection, and you're like, there's no other way for this to happen, right? You don't have to divorce your intellect from who Jesus is to um, come to the grips of who he is, and then you say, well, um, I, I kind of come to a roads where I'm going to try to um, reconcile this life and make it work on my own, or I can give it to Jesus. And I can be thankful and have a heart of gratitude for the work that he accomplished for me. And what that does is, is it completely um, repents us, completely turns us um, in a way that causes us to be may, way more focused on worshiping Jesus than ourselves. Does that make sense? And I think we can all learn from um, what happened with uh, King Herod. The second thing is this, and I, I think that this one is kind of the same way um, in, in reality, but it's a little bit different. The second thing is this, is um, false worshipers will be real. I want you to think about this with me. Um, we, we start in verse six where we get that prophecy I told you guys about, but read it with me. It says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the, the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's Jesus they're talking about, that ruler. Verse seven, it says, then, King, or then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So he finds out when the star is going to come and appear. It says, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, right? So he's telling them, go find this child for me. Search carefully. Don't screw it up, people. I want to know exactly where he is. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and what? Worship him, right? And like I said earlier, we know that this whole thing is a setup, y'all, that, um, that, Really, Herod has no interest in worshiping Jesus, right? We know that from this, what's happened is Herod has um, had a disturbance inside of him because people are wanting to worship this person other than him. And then we get to down here where it says that um, he wants to go worship him, and we know that it's fake, right? And I think this is a foreshadowing um, quickly in the story of what will happen um, throughout the Bible and then throughout the church um, going forward, right, is that false worshipers will become a real thing, right, where people just want to worship Jesus for kind of what he can give them and not 
Jesus himself. You see, what I find interesting in here, right, is these people that are bowing down, Mary and um, uh, the Magi and these people that had come to worship him, y'all, they weren't coming to worship Jesus because of what they could get from Jesus, right? Jesus was still a baby. Now, yeah, he was God. He was God wrapped up in flesh as a baby, and he still had power. But at that point, they couldn't call on Jesus' name for getting them out of trouble. He couldn't call on Jesus' name for getting them a new job and a new raise. He couldn't call on Jesus' name and say, um, thank you, God, for this or that, right? They were worshiping Jesus solely for who he was, right? There was no other motive. It's just, I just want you, right? I don't. I don't really need Jesus and the American dream. I don't need Jesus and X. I don't need Jesus and Y, right? You fill in the blank with what we exchange for to, 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 to be happy with God. But in reality, if we're teaching the gospel of the Bible, if we're truly going to stick to what Scripture has to say, what we see is, is that we've got to come to a place where only Jesus is our prize or else we're becoming a false worshiper of Jesus, right? Because we're really worshiping Jesus plus something. And as soon as we add something to what Jesus did, it takes away from everything about what he did, right? If we only need 10% of the cross and we could fill in the other 90, then really there was no reason for Jesus to, to go to the cross because we should have just done it all ourselves, right? But that's the opposite of what happened. And we see this with um, these people that started worshiping him. I was thinking about this this week and kind of how we end up seeing Jesus as kind of an add-on to our life and not um, our life in general and the new identity he gives us. But I was thinking this week, um, I, I always joke around with my wife because I think it's interesting. She makes some interesting decisions sometimes that really crack me up. But um, it'll be kind of cold outside. I'm sure all the men in the room said amen right there, right? Sometimes your wife makes interesting decisions. Okay. Maybe y'all aren't. No? Yeah, sometimes? Okay, all right. So um, maybe I figured if I gave some more time, y'all would eventually agree with me. Um, usually y'all just didn't agree with the pastor. But um, it, I, I was, I was um, just get tickled sometimes by the, by the smallest stuff. But it'll be like getting cold in like October. And she'll, she'll want to wear long pants because it's getting cooler outside. And so she'll wear jeans. But then she'll put on sandals. And y'all, I don't know why that cracks me up so much, but I think it's the funniest thing in the world, you know? I'm like, if it's cold enough to wear jeans, I'm going to put something over my toes. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, my feet get cold, number one, but number two, I don't think I'm that crazy. I think that most people would agree with me that if you're going to put long pants on, put shoes on. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're going to wear sandals, wear shorts when it's hot. I, I totally understand, but to combine the two makes no sense, right? It, girls, it would be like for you. You would never wear shorts and then um, in the summertime and then wear one of your long boots with your in-style uh, fuzzy socks hanging over or, or coming up your leg. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You wouldn't do that in the summer. Why? Because it would be absolutely pointless. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, I know this may be a style, but it always cracked me up too, like guys that wear long pants with flip-flops. You know, I'm like, look, I just can't, I don't know why I can't do it. If I'm going to wear flip-flops, I'm wearing shorts. If I'm going to wear, y'all get my point, right? The whole reason I say that, and I think it's funny, is because to me, it kind of defeats the purpose of what the point of what you're doing is, right? If, if, if the point is to stay warm, then wear pants and shoes to stay warm, right? Otherwise, it's kind of just to add on, which probably a lot in America happens, but we just kind of add it to our attire. We add it to what we dress not because it has any functional use, but solely because it just looks cool to rock it, right? It kind of looks cool and it's kind of stylish, right? And I think what happens and what kind of happened with 
um, Herod here for a split second before he realized Jesus was God and he had way more power than Herod did and he didn't even have to force people to worship him. People would worship him for what he did. But what happened is, is it became a time where um, people would kind of rock Jesus because it's stylish, right? You kind of um, put on this false worshiping of Jesus because in our culture, as I've talked about a few sermons ago, Jesus and following Jesus becomes the, the really the path of least resistance, right? I joked about this long, long ago, but if y'all showed up, majority of us in here, if you showed up to your Christmas gathering tomorrow, Christmas night or Christmas Eve night, and you're eating dinner and you're sitting there at the dinner table and you're eating your, I don't know, I would say turkey, but that's Thanksgiving, but um, I don't know, what, whatever you eat on, on Christmas night, right? And you're sitting there eating and you're like, hey, um, I, I decided I'm not doing this Jesus thing anymore. You're following me with this? I, 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 I just decided it wasn't real. I don't, I don't really want to do it anymore. I think I'm going to turn and maybe pursue another religion. Maybe, um, maybe I'm just going to do away with religion altogether. But you get my point. What would happen is, is most of our families would kind of look at us in despair. They would kind of look at us confused. They would be like, maybe there's something wrong with so-and-so, right? Maybe they're going through a tough time. Maybe they're just... Um, maybe they got too much in the hipster clan and they're kind of postmodern Christian, you know what I'm saying? So, um, but basically what happens is we get to a place where if we're not just following Jesus enough, right, just enough to kind of put on um, kind of the identity we need to have to be who we feel like we need to be in our culture, we follow Jesus just enough that it can be stylish to our identity but never actually change who we are. Does that make sense? And the difference in rocking Jesus because it's stylish, and I don't keep saying that because it's um, cliche, but the difference in rocking Jesus because it's stylish and false worshiping him and actually worshiping Jesus for who he is, right? Those two big differences right there come down to the point of, is Jesus at the center of your life and sitting on the throne of your life or are you, right? Because really the only way to false worship Jesus is to have yourself sitting on it, right? And then you become your own God. You make your own decisions. You make decisions based on what you think you should do with your money, not what you feel like would actually benefit God's kingdom the most, right? You make decisions based on your time, not with what would benefit God's kingdom the most, but you make decisions with your time based on what would make your life more comfortable, right? Or what would be the most fun for you. And my challenge this morning would be is we've got to come to a place, y'all, where we're able to um, recognize that, and if you're in here and you've never come to the grips with that, and you've said, I, I, I honestly just really think this morning I've never had Jesus sit on the throne, then I would say that that would be salvation taking place, and when salvation takes place, you receive the Holy Spirit inside of you, which is going to give you the desires of Christ, which literally live inside of you, and then you'll want Jesus to sit on the throne, and you'll actually become disturbed like Herod was when Jesus doesn't sit on the throne of your life, Right? But if we're believers and we kind of start slipping, then what happens is we get to a place where um, false worship comes and we kind of get into this identity, y'all. And listen, that's the biggest thing we face in our culture, right? I don't, I don't really believe that um, if I could go out and gather a group of a couple thousand people that um, it, it just random people in this town that um, I would need to give an apologetic sermon where I'm defending who God and the reasons for God and that nothing can uh, or something can come from nothing and get real philosophical with that and then get real personal with who Jesus was and kind of give that idea that, um, that that there's no other way to explain the resurrection except for the resurrection, right? And you give this real um, um, intellectual idea, right? Some people are there and they, they need that, they want that, but I feel like the majority of us in here, what happens is we really just get so comfortable in America that that we want to exchange self-worship and comfort and the American dream 
for Jesus being the center of our lives. And so I think that's exactly what hit Herod and exactly why he got so frustrated with who Jesus was. All right, now y'all are tired of me being um, kind of on you about self-worship and, and, and false worship. But the, the, the last point, and I want to get to it here in just a second, is this, is true worshipers of Jesus become overjoyed, right? We, we, our lives turn to a place where um, our hearts are fixed on Jesus and we have more than we know to, to truly be um, overjoyed with what Jesus has done for us. And so um, right now we're going to actually get to watch a story of a guy who kind of fell through this idea, right? He kind of self-worshipped and um, you'll see his testimony. He kind of did what he wanted to do and followed the world and then um, Jesus kind of wrecked him. And I want y'all to pay attention to the end of his story. We're going to see it in just a second, but I want you to pay attention to the end of his story because I think you see at the end of it what it looks like when a heart goes from self-worship to truly being overjoyed and seeing how thankful he is and how much gratitude he has towards God for what he had done in his life. So watch this video. You know, through all those years of the partying and the drugs, the alcohol, the, just the fast lifestyle of running, you know, running from life, it never once dawned on me that it would carry me to the depth that it did. South Georgia, uh, about like everybody else's story. From what I could tell, I had a normal childhood. I played every sport that I could that came around. I guess it was, you know, probably around the age of eight that I realized that my dad was an alcoholic. You know, I, I saw things in him over the, those years that I said I would never be like. You know, I can remember times of playing football. One person that was always in the stands was my mom. Uh, she ran every touchdown with me that I ran. And when I got to the age of 16 um, of years of watching my mom put up with a lot I told her one night it was time for me and her to leave my parents got a divorce after that my dad had come and caused a few problems and me and him had really got on the outs and I didn't have any respect for him um, I had thought I was grown and I'd started not listening to my mom. I was 17 years old, it was my senior year of high school. And uh, this whole time, you know, I'd lost respect for my dad. And um, But my truck, I was having problems with the truck I was driving and my dad had taught me everything I knew about vehicles. So I went by for him to help me and, I, and for some reason I noticed a change in him. He wasn't drunk, he wasn't high, he wasn't anything. And, and he helped me work on my truck that day. And it was a, a man that I, had, as far as I knew, had never met before. When I was leaving, I said, Daddy, I love you. He said, I love you too, son. And that was the last time I ever spoke to him. I didn't know four days later that I would find him dead. That crushed me. Um, that really crushed me. I shut off from the world after that. And thought I knew best for me. Um, I fell into addiction really deep. Didn't know it was addiction at the time. I just knew that alcohol and coke and 
partying and girls and racing and whatever kept my mind off the thing. This rocked on till I was 36 years old. You know, back right after I found my dad dead, my mom had met a guy, um, which is my stepdad today. They got married about my senior year. And reflecting back on it, um, I could see that he was the dad that I'd prayed for my whole life. After finding my dad, I lost all feeling for anyone. Um, it's like I couldn't love anybody. And if it got close to me, I'd do something to self-destruct and push him away. And through some mutual friends, I met Lindsay. Um, and we started dating. And she was not living for the Lord at the time, and I wasn't either. We were both drinking and partying, uh, just enjoying life, thought we were. And after a while of dating, she got pregnant. She quit drinking, quit partying, but I didn't. Uh, and after a while of me continuing to drink and party and this and that, she gave me basically an ultimatum and said either, you know, change or get out. And I chose to get out and run from my responsibilities. So on July 3rd, 2015, I got arrested and carried into jail for uh, DUI and possession. I sent word down to our sheriff, uh, you know, asking him to help me, and he sent word back to me that he had helped me all my life, that this time he was gonna teach me a lesson. The, the only way that I was getting through jail, period, was I, somebody brought me a Bible and an AA book, not knowing it, but the whole time this was in God's plan. And so I get sent to RSAT. I spent four and a half months in the county jail. And the longer I was in there and the more I sobered up, the more feelings started coming back. Um, the more <laughs> I prayed, I was scared to death. I really was. And I knew I had screwed up with Lindsay. How could this lady ever forgive me? How could my parents ever forgive me? As these feelings started coming back in jail, and as I started getting closer to God, and I started praying, and I started searching, and I started asking God, if you will help me to not be the man that I said I would never, you know, that I would never be, I'm him, and I need your help. Lord, I, you know, whatever your will is, let it be done. And the judge sentenced me to nine and a half more months or set. In total, I was locked up for 14 and a half months. Lindsay was still, her, she was hurt, I hurt her bad. I found out that she had had a little girl, but my, my daughter was born while I was locked up. And that's something I'll never be able to give back to her. It's something that hurts me today. And that night in jail when I found out my child was born and I wasn't there, um, I promised God if he would help me make me the man he wanted me to be, <laughs> that I'd never turn back to uh, my worldly ways. The sheriff was nice enough to let Lindsay bring, bring her for me to see her. And the first time I got to see her was through the plexiglass window. And I wasn't able to hold her. 
that she was the sweetest thing I'd ever seen in my life. But it gave me more drive. God gave me that little bit while I was in jail to say this is what you've got to look forward to when you get out. After that, I started writing Lindsay and I started calling her and Lindsay had started going to Connection Church during this time. God laid it on her heart to forgive me. And it, it was just amazing how God was starting to work in, our li in my life and me being locked up. But God kept telling me, I've got you. You know, you keep living for me and I'll take care of the rest. I'd gotten out of jail on August 25th, 2016, and Lindsay and my daughter Adley and my parents were there to pick me up. Um, and walking out of that boot camp that day, I, I could feel God's hand on me and my family. And from that day forward, me and Lindsay started dating. Through a lot of trials, um, I started going to Connection Church. God got me and Lindsay in the small group and uh, got us into some counseling with Billy. Through God's grace, God gave me the you know, courage and strength to ask Lindsay to marry me. Through his grace and through him giving her a forgiving heart, she said yes. God gave me and Lindsay a beautiful wedding. We have been blessed beyond belief. Thank God he's a forgiving God. And uh, I thank God today for where he's got me at and where he's carried me and the opportunities he's given me to help other people. Um, I've got with my, with my testimony and with my life, I've been able to help a lot of people um, and will be able to hopefully continue to help other people. You know, and God don't call me to be perfect. He just calls me to be faithful. celebrate that yep <clears throat> I think I think through that there's honestly so much to pull out from that story right I think that um, everything you'd been through and God's faithfulness and his faithfulness to God but I think I think the biggest thing for me and knowing Dustin personally um, and his lucky name that his parents gave him um, is is that I think you truly see what it looks like for a heart to be overjoyed when they come to truly know Christ, right? Y'all, I'm telling you, when you go from cultural Christianity and you go from playing the part of Jesus that you play to, to fit your identity to look like a Christian or to um, e even really to please your family or please your wife, or please your your grandparents, or um, to to make it look like you're you're taking the right steps for your kids. But you do all this stuff, and then you truly meet Jesus, and I think joy overflows from your heart. I I, I know that was the case for my life. Um, I think that you hear it and and see it in Dustin's story. Y'all think about it. He 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 lives the world up. I don't know another way to describe it. He um, gets a girl pregnant and. Um, she gets saved, and one of the um, she gives her life to the Lord. One of the 
overflows of that is we naturally then have to forgive even the hardest people to forgive in our life, right? We, as a, as a believer, if we truly understand what we did against God and understand the love that he gave for us on the cross and forgiven us, and we're called to love people like he loves us, there's no room left for bitterness toward people, right? There's no room left for unforgiveness in our life, no, no matter what somebody had done. I struggle with that to this day of not writing people off, and his, his wife now doesn't write him off, and, and through that, he gets a heart of gratitude and his heart postures of gratitude towards his wife, and then after that, I think the, the coolest part to me is he starts thanking God and talking about all that God had blessed him with, right? And I think during this season, if you're a believer in here, if, you, if there's one thing I could encourage you with and end with with you this morning, it would be that as believers, we have no room to ever play the victim card, right? And you, what I mean by that is, is that the worst circumstances on earth can never compare to the glorious riches that Roman says that we have waiting for us in meeting Jesus Christ, no matter your financial situation, no matter your family situation, no matter your, 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 your work situation and the drama and your marriage and everything else in between, no matter your earthly situation, we have the greatest hope in the world in Jesus because of what he did on the cross to suffer um, and take the place that we should, we should have on, on the cross and being crucified and him resurrecting three days later to um, give us life. If that's true and you've placed hope in that, there is nothing on earth that could ever take away from the hope you have in Christ. And we're getting to celebrate that this morning, um, being Christmas and celebrating the birth of Jesus. And so there's one thing I can encourage you with. It would be that this morning. The, 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 the latter is this, and I just want to be upfront this morning and not um, try to be super emotional because I, I get fired up when I talk about this. But I truly believe that if you've never given your life to Christ, and I don't mean partial surrender, and this is what I think. I think partial surrender to Jesus really leads, leads to more misery than it does joy. I think that that's what happens a lot in our culture is um, we never become overjoyed with Christ in our hearts and in our life because we never give Christ our full hearts. And so if you only give Christ part of your life or part of your heart, it leads to more misery because it's really two things battling each other, right? Battling life and Jesus and the world and Jesus. And it's just miserable. It creates more um, uh, misery in your life and more conflict in your life because you, you really haven't given your life to anything, right? You, then you're in between. You're not fully chasing the world or Jesus. And so I think it becomes a tough thing. But I think the greatest thing of that is knowing that your joy comes from Christ and it can never be shaken, right? I, I want to end with this. And I think it's really good is um, my, my son right now, many of you know, I have an older son who's in high school, and um, I was having a conversation with him this week, and, and it got kind of intense for a second, but I think it's one of those moments where my emotions and his emotions, and he's, you know, older, he's 18 years old, and so he, he's at a tough age, but we were talking, and he's in the middle of wrestling season right now, and, and if you know any wrestlers that take it very serious, um, they, it's a gruesome time for him, right? He's cutting weight. He's on a very strict diet. No, I'm not the unhealthy parent that doesn't allow him to eat, but he's on a, he's on a very strict diet. And what happens is, is all his focus becomes so paranoid about weight and wrestling, he kind of drives Jesus out of his life. And not on purpose, right? The, 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 he still serves like crazy, right? Way more than I, he probably serves more than me now. 
right? And I'm on staff. I mean, the kid's heart is awesome, but I can see it kind of naturally draining him. And it finally got to the end of the conversation, and what had come up is he was wanting to not go to um, uh, Wednesday night, his, his, his time with the students in Vidalia, because he didn't want to have to be around food and people and sodas and all this stuff, and he was just dead tired from practice and um, we're having a conversation about it, and I, I finally said, buddy, I said, I'm not going to be mad at you for not going. That I, I will never be, I'll never sacrifice my emotional connection as a dad for um, what, what needs to happen for my family to, um, to be a pastor or a godly dad, right? I'm not going to force him into it, but I remember telling him, and I think this is when we hit the same terms as when I said this, is I said, buddy, I know that your truest joy and fulfillment is found when Christ is at the center of your life and you're not and wrestling's not, and girls aren't, and um, uh, your, 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 the, the popularity of people liking you and whatnot is not the center. When Jesus is at the center, I know that's when you're most joyful and fulfilled in life. And that's when it hit. Like, it just, I mean, it was like we matched in that moment because it, he knew then that I wasn't mad at him for what he was thinking. It just hit me that, man, I, we're in this together, and and dad, I know that's where your heart is and you struggle with it. And I know it's where my heart is, man, we struggle with it. But let's make sure that we're, we're getting there because that's where our hope and our joy is. And I think what happens in a busy life, in a busy culture, and um, we get busy and, and we, we honestly take pride in things that really don't matter. And what happens is Jesus gets driven out, either that or number one, we never actually give our hearts to Jesus in the first place. And we keep other things at the center of our life and Jesus never infiltrates in it. Um, and so if you're here this morning, and that would be you, my, my, my biggest hope for you this morning is that this isn't just an empty time. This isn't another day that you could walk out into the world and say, I'm just going to do the one foot in, one foot out thing um, anymore. I, I can't do it. And, and honestly, I would say that's going to be more miserable for you, right? If, if you think about giving your life to Jesus and the thought of God instantly brings conviction over your life and your heart. It's because you've never been set free by the truth of the gospel, knowing that you don't have to fix your life up anymore. You don't have to go to jail. You don't have to make more money. You don't have to look better for your family. That's not going to do it. The gospel is that Jesus and the completed work of the cross set you free from all of that, right? And then what happens is you think of Jesus and God, and it leads your heart to being overjoyed and true worship, not an instant time of conviction over your life. And it changes your life forever. And I truly believe that's where people come to church and in our culture live their lives as a time of conviction with God because they never truly go two feet in and let Christ become the center of their life and they never see Christ as their joy. And so if you've never done that and you want to do that this morning, it's not um, checking a box, it's not even raising your hand, but we're going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second so that somebody with a prayer team can grab you and pray with you. And honestly, the people in here are going to celebrate with you because they know if they're believers that your greatest joy is found in Jesus Christ. And if you've never actually done it, it doesn't matter how old you are. You just saw a story of Dustin who, if I could picture a, a Southern guy with a hard heart and um, having it all together, if God can infiltrate and break the hardest of hearts, right, then he can do that with any of us, right? And that can be you today if you've never done it. 
And I don't want to push you into that decision. I just want to plea with you, not argue with you, but plea with you that you can have the weight of the world and all this conviction when you think of what your life is going to be about lifted off of you when you give your heart to Jesus and you place faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and it can give you spiritual life. And so if you're here this morning, you've never done that and you want to do that, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Is there anybody in here? Once again, it's not, we're not thinking it's weird. It's not, it's not arguing. It's not to embarrass you. It's a celebration to plea with you. And so is there anybody in here this morning that wants to give their life to Jesus? Anybody? You can put your hand up if you want to. And so what that means, and I don't know that this means this because I'm not the judge of salvation, but what this means is that most of us in here, I hope, know the Lord. And I, and I truly hope that if you have once found joy in Jesus and your heart has been overjoyed like it says the Magi and Mary were, that I pray this morning that this time and when you leave here and not really just because of Christmas, but starting maybe Wednesday morning, we can find our hope and joy in Jesus and not anything else, y'all. And, and we can know that when we live for Christ and we live to show other people Christ because we cherish Christ so much in our life that that is exactly where we're gonna be fulfilled, right? I think there's often times that, y'all, I preach this all the time, but many believers, right, we find ourselves kind of underjoyed with Christ. And I mean underjoyed by we're not getting the, the full enjoyment and fulfillment of of Christ in our life, honestly, because we have things missing out in our life, right? If there's an area of your life that you haven't submitted to him, submit it, right? And if there's, um, there, there, I would say the main thing is if you're not actively engaging in like a missional lifestyle to want to cherish the gospel so much in your life that you want other people that don't cherish the gospel to cherish it, right? When that becomes like an exchange in your life where you want that to happen for others, that brings a whole nother set of joy in your life, right? Knowing that somebody can have what you have. And I think that if we're in here this morning and we can just be real and, and just be honest with ourselves, that's the place we've got to come to, y'all. And listen, I don't plea with you ever for to, to build even Connection Church's name or my name or to make it feel more full in here because there's empty seats. I say that because I truly believe that is where your most joy and fulfillment is gonna come from when you're cherishing Jesus and wanting others to cherish him too. That's from the bottom of my heart is not for any other motive but that you would be fulfilled and you could seek God's kingdom on earth and that, that would bring you maximum fulfillment in knowing Jesus, amen? Amen. Well, I really want y'all to know that I love you. Um, I really hope that you enjoy this time period. I, I, I'm very thankful for each of you and the time I'm going to get to spend with my family, and I know you guys are too. So um, let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for what you've given us, God, and, and ultimately, I, I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for his birth and burial and resurrection and God, what he did to provide salvation for us that none of us could ever do for ourselves. Lord, I, I literally pray right now that you would give us desires in our heart to thank you for that every single morning we wake up. Lord, we realize that we can't do it on our own. God, we can't fix ourselves up enough. 
Lord, we can't find joy in other places. But Lord, all those things are only done and accomplished and fulfilled in Jesus on the cross. So Father, just work in our hearts during this season. Lord, I pray that we do. God, I pray for the people. I pray that they do enjoy time with their families. I know that this time can be tough for some people and very joyful for others. But God, I pray that over, over everything else that we could just have a bond um, through brothers and sisters in Christ with our families that um, our believers and our brothers and sisters in here that we could just truly be thankful, Lord, with the heart of gratitude for, God, what you've given us and what you've done for us. Lord, we posture our hearts in, in that direction now. Father, we love you so much, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Merry Christmas. Um, we will see you guys next Sunday.